Hello and welcome to another comedian's interview for my pod, my blog, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. My guest today is the great comedian, Mr. Carl Donnelly. Yes! <laughs> Hello, Hi, mate! <laughs> Hello, it's, how um, are you? Test, I'm good. It's a testament to your uh, experience as an audience member that you can lead a round of applause on your own <laughs> in your house. <laughs> well, it's so much practice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for doing this. No worries. And, and um, uh, it's going to be about 45 minutes to an hour, and it's, it's going to be all about your comedy career. Oh, my God. Um, cool. <laughs> so we're going to go right back to the start. And can yes. you tell me, please, how did you become a comedian in the first uh, place? I first I, I I'd never planned to be it. I, well, I wasn't somebody who started. You know, I wasn't one of these people that grew up watching it and thought I want to do that one day. It was a total sort of happy accident where I had never been to live comedy before. I was about twenty one, maybe, right. and I I'd seen like a big. You know, I'd seen. I'd grow up watching Dave Allen on the telly and Billy Connolly. Now I knew what comedy was, but I had no. It was a very abstract thing that was just on the telly. And it wasn't until I was about, I think I was about 20 or 21, and my ex, uh, my well, she became my wife, but my, but now my ex-wife. We, we just started seeing each other, and she was a big comedy fan, and she'd been to, like, the Edinburgh Fringe and all that business. And I didn't know any about it. I didn't know what the Edinburgh Fringe was. And then she took me to uh, a, a comedy show, and... I just loved it. It was that thing. I walked in having no no idea what was going to happen, and I just watched this amazing live thing where it felt so exhilarated. I'd never seen live entertainment where it genuinely felt like you know you were just the person was talking almost directly to you. Yeah. And I just fell in love with it. And within about, I'd say I started going to comedy almost weekly. Became a real comedy fan and live comedy fan, and then. Um, and I reckon it was probably about six months after that that my uh, my girlfriend at the time started saying that she thought I should do it. She was like, I think you could do stand-up. And I, I didn't know why. And basically it's just... Because I wasn't like... I'm not sort of... I don't think I'm the most confident person in general, you know, in sort of social situations. But I think she just picked up on my sensibilities. And, like, you know, I've always, I'm always quite good at a, at a well-timed comment, you yeah, know. yeah. Uh, so and she started recommending me do it and it, t- it took about a year f- of her saying that and us going to watch comedy for me to even start thinking about it and then she she as a gift she signed me up to a comedy workshop wow. which, which was which was a few a few weeks at a place called the city lit in central london and yeah i did that and just doing that actually gave me the little kick to go oh actually i do want to try this and i did a five minute open spot at the end of it and yeah, I loved it so much. Terrifying, but I loved it. And that was the start of the rest of my sort what of year, open what spot. What year was this? So she signed me up to the, the workshop at the end of 2003. Right. But I then got ill. I had quite serious stomach problems at the time. So I ended up sort of having a bit of a, a, bit of a break. So it would have been... I've, I, I remember doing like a couple of open spots in 2004. Yeah. And then it was 2005 when I started properly gigging, like doing really doing the open mic circuit. Right. My my first ever comedy show was Les Dawson in 1977 at Scar. Wow. I was I was Amazing. seven and I was hooked. And in the and in the same uh, uh, the year later we saw Tommy Cooper. And then it it just went on and on and on and on into the 80s and uh, saw Rick Mail and Frank Skinner and French Saunders and all the rest of it. My first ever um, trip to the comedy store in London was 1988. And that uh, that was um, Steve Gribbin, uh, Linda Smith, Hattie Hayridge and top of the bill was Charles Fleischer who went on to 
he went on to he was never heard of again because he went to Hollywood to um, voice Roger Rabbit and so he didn't no need way. to work again <laughs> but he God. was amazing he was this like mad lunatic on stage running a bit like Robin Williams yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, that's why one I, thing I remember yeah. about that first gig at the, it was at the Banana Cabaret where I first yeah, went to see yeah. comedy and I remember you know I don't actually remember the other acts apart yeah. from uh, Addy van der Borg I yeah, remember Addy yeah, Borg yeah. was on and it was so because he's very clownish and you know I'd never seen anyone like him on telly you know he wasn't yeah you know, this this would have been what the very early two start of the of two, the two thousands essentially. So on telly at the time, you would maybe have seen Jack D or people like everyone was quite sort of a. You know, you would have had the end of the nineties, which was all Skinner and Badil. Yeah, brilliant. Everyone was, yeah. Everyone yeah, was yeah. quite blokey. So to see someone like Addy, in a like just I I just walked in and suddenly this this guy's on stage being silly and like clowning. And I remember just thinking, this is so amazing. I've told Addy this since that, like, he's basically, I think, the reason I do stand-up comedy. I think Brilliant. he was the spark that made me go, "Oh shit, you can you can do this, can you? You can actually just be silly and dumb, and you don't have to write, you know, you don't have to come up and be quite acerbic and yeah. and a deadpan and like, you know, you, and you can actually just be an idiot." And so, I loved it. So. Is he like a mentor to you, or was he just the first person you saw and thought, I could do this? No, he wasn't. Yeah, he just was that. He was the first person yeah. I saw that made me realise that stand-up wasn't just what you saw on telly. Yeah, It yeah. was somebody you could... Yeah, there was there was so many other types of stand-up. I genuinely had only... I'd only ever seen guys in suits, essentially. Or, you know, you'd see guys... In, in the late 90s, everyone would be like sort of dressed quite down. They'd either be in a suit or it'd be a bloke in a baggy T-shirt sort of moaning. Yeah, yeah. So like to see somebody like Addy who clearly was like, was a clown, but yeah. doing stand-up as a clown, I just, it was such a moment of like, oh, right, it must, it must be like, you know, when you hear stories where people saw the sex pistols like, and it just yeah, changed yeah, your view yeah, of music. Yeah. Addy, to me, is the guy that made me change my entire view of what stand-up comedy was. That's fantastic. And I think that was the, that was the spark that made me get really excited about it and watch loads of it. And, you know, and then it was that type of time when there was loads of comics that were just, like, starting out in the UK. Yeah. That, that like, I, you know, I, this was before I started, but I saw people like Tony Law, like, when he was at his maddest, you know? So... <laughs> Still is. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was like really exciting to sort of yeah, see yeah, all yeah. these people who were doing slightly more surreal things. Yeah. And you know, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe. Me and my ex went to the Edinburgh Fringe, and I, I, I again I showed up to the Edinburgh Fringe not knowing what it was, and it was like being in a fairground no, for it's a incredible. week. Incredible, yeah, yeah. Oh. We're going to move on to that later. Um, so you're um, at the City Lit, and you've done your comedy course. Did you then do um, a lot of five-minute gigs with friends in pubs? Is that how you got your ground in? Sort of, yeah. So I remember, yeah. So I remember it finished at the very end of two thousand and three, yeah. and I'd had these health problems, and I was still, yeah, I still had quite a busy job. So two thousand and four, I'd I'd got the bug for it. I'd worked out that I wanted to try it, but I just didn't really have the the time or the impetus to, to really kick on and do it. So I remember doing a handful of gigs. But in 2005, I'll tell you what it was, it was the end of 2004, I think I did the, what was it called? The Amused Moose competition. Yeah, it was like yeah, the Amused yeah. Moose something or other. And I was chatting to um, a comedian called Anna Crilly, yes. who also acts. Yeah. And, she, I, and we'd met, I think, very early in 2004 at an open spot. It was one of my first open spots. And at the end of 2004, we saw each other again at at the Amused Moose. And she said, it might have even been the start of 2005. She said, oh, have you been doing loads of gigs? And I I said, yeah, I've been doing a few. And I think I'd done about eight gigs in a year. And I said to her, like, how many have you done? And she'd done a hundred open spots that year. Wow. And and it made me go, I'm I'm doing it wrong. I need to actually commit to it and start gigging. So 2005, I went absolutely bananas and totally committed everything to it i was gigging three or four times a week in london all open spot gigs i started entering the competitions i went to edinburgh that year and did loads of open spots i did about 50 open spots in a week in edinburgh 
and basically by the end of 2005 I started to really find my feet and I was getting decent and then it was start early 2006 I won a thing called the Laughing Horse New Act yeah, of the Year yeah yeah because I'd basically committed to, in 2005 to gigging loads so yeah by the time that came around in 2006 I was like you know I'd probably done at that point 150 gigs because I'd just gone crazy in 2005 and I think it's, well, obviously it's all experience, isn't it? The more you do, the better you become. Yeah. And just those, you know, there was, that was a time when loads of people were starting to try out comedy. And, yeah. you know, there was a real boom. The, the, the open mic circuit boomed in that mid 2000s. Cause yeah. t- and TV comedy started then. When I say TV comedy, I mean the modern age of TV comedy. You're sort of. You know, uh, what was it called? Like Live at Apollo and yeah, things were yeah. just on the horizon. Yeah. And like, I think Mop the Week started around the mid 2000s. So there was, for the first time in a generation, there was suddenly comedy on telly. So loads of people were like, oh, I want to be a comedian. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, the circuit just blew up. So there was yeah. just suddenly loads of open spots. And a lot of the gigs were rubbish, but, you know, they taught you what you're doing. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, what do you like to talk about on stage? Do you have any themes or do you have uh, any um, set pieces that you do? Or Yeah, I'd say I have always been... I lean more towards stories than... Right. Stand like then, uh, then I definitely lean towards stories and like jokes. I'm not, a, I'm not a here's a setup, here's a punchline comedian, yeah. it's more stories, but I tend to sort of sneak a, like observations in them. So it's always like, like if I've got if I make an observation about something, it's normally I, I'll, t- I'll put it in a little story to to communicate it better. Yeah, yeah. So I've, that's what I've always sort of done stories. So and because because I do stories, I tend to keep it as true to life as possible so I've always mined my life my family travel whatever whatever's going on that year I'll always you know as the year goes on I'll amass a bunch of different things that have happened and Brilliant. You know, it makes it easier I'm not really yeah. a writer you know what I mean I'm not somebody who can you know when, imagine I'm like doing a new show in Edinburgh or some festival like where I'm at now I'm, I'm in Melbourne at the minute me and my wife came down to Australia wow. sort of you know to get away from the UK because we've got a little baby and yeah, yeah. Her, she's from here and she wanted to sort of come home for a while while it was all shy in the UK yeah, yeah, yeah. we came here and I um, it just happened to coincide with the Melbourne Comedy Festival so they asked if I wanted to do a show and I just basically I wrote a new show in the space of like a month or two wow. to do here and it was just you know it was that thing of I find it it's, I, I don't sit down and go right what am I going to write about and then write an hour of jokes I tend to go right what's happened to me in the last year yeah. I've had a baby we've been in lockdowns on and off you know we've travelled over here you know, and it basically suddenly I just realised oh, I've got a bunch of stories that if I can make them funny I've got a show yeah 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 um you said earlier on about competitions. Um, in 2007, you won the Chortle Award Best Newcomer Comedian and the I Leicester did. Mercury New Comedian, as well as being yes. the Chortle Best Comedian in 2017. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, describe these experiences, please, and what do you think about competitions generally, comedy competitions? Um, I think I think competitions are they're good when you're new, yeah. Because I, for not just for you as a comedian, but for the industry, in the sense of you know there is thousands and thousands of people starting out trying to do comedy every year, yeah. And I don't you know they're not a perfect science a competition. I'm not saying that the finalists of each competition are, are going to be the best eight comedians of that generation. You know what I mean? But I do think. There is a sort of, you know, they'll they'll roughly, you know, the people that tend to get to the finals of this one or this one or this one tend to be of the good crop of the new people coming through. So, you know, when I did, so when I won uh, Laughing Horse, that was the first time I'd ever suddenly talk to like like bookers who were booking better rooms and and sort of the odd agent and 2007 when I won Leicester Mercury and Chortle Best Newcomer again it suddenly was like oh right now a few people started sniffing around agent wise so I think it was when was it 
I reckon, I think it was 2007. At the end of 2007, I'd signed with an agent. And that was, you know, it would have been off the back of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just, yeah, and as it goes on, you know, I think once you get out of new act uh, territory, I, I, you know, I started to really just focus more on what I was doing and stop really caring much about awards and all that, even though I've, you know, I've been nominated for a few since and... Yeah. You know, what I've won, I think I've probably only won one out of all the ones I've been nominated for in the last decade. But, you know, it's, it, they're nice. It's nice to be acknowledged, but I genuinely, and I think people probably think it's a lie when, when somebody goes, I don't really care about awards. But I do think I'm not, you, I'm not, I, I've always felt not that normal compared to some comedians. Like, I don't read reviews. Right. I, um, I don't do any, I'm, I'm very sort of, uh, I love being a comedian in the sense of when I'm on stage, but yeah, off stage, yeah, yeah. it's not something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I don't read about myself. I don't, um, I, yeah, rev- uh, like awards and things aren't the biggest thing on my mind. No, no. Even even when I do Edinburgh, like when I've done, yeah. you know, I've been nominated in Edinburgh for the Comedy Award, and you know, to some people that would be the biggest thing you could it could ever happen to you. And actually, it was lovely, but you know, it wasn't. I wasn't like desperate to, to to get nominated or desperate to win it. Partly, I think because I didn't know what Edinburgh was when I started. Yeah. I think because I started out such so naive and didn't know anything about comedy. That's probably a good thing because it doesn't mean I've got this childhood of like one day I'll win the Edinburgh Comedy Award <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> to me, that's all just new things I learnt about, so they're not actually that important. It's interesting because um, when I first. Uh, thought about doing this blog I went on a day's writing course and uh, I was with a load of other people who wanted to be reviewers and the um, woman came to me and she said oh she said we've forgotten about you she said tell me about you I said well you invited me through a comment in my blog and I said I'd just like to say I'm not a reviewer I'm not a diarist I'm not a reporter I'm not a critique I'm a member of the audience out to have fun so um, my blog is extremely positive and I regard it as an enthuse for all the yeah, yeah, yeah. that go out and actually have a go and do it and I said if I can sit in the audience and support them as best I can all well and good and she went oh yes we like you moved on and never bothered me again yeah yeah so, it's a know, funny it, one yeah. the reviewers like I'm just, I don't know if you've talked about reviewers or reviews to many comedians but yeah. it's a real interesting topic I find like yeah. you know it's a lot of opinions got very a lot of comedians got very strong opinions on them like I genuinely yeah. don't I'm not you know I think because I don't read them and when I say I don't read them I don't mean I don't just read mine I don't read any comedy any reviews other, I'm not like yeah. I don't read other people's for yeah. hoping like oh I hope they get a bad review or yeah. I don't get jealous if somebody gets a good one I just don't it's almost like I don't have any interest in comedy reviews because they're sort of I don't know if they're, I've always thought they're not for us you know if yes, you're a comedian you do it do you know what I mean I just do comedy I don't really you I go, think you've you suddenly separated yeah yeah yeah, and actually reviewers, I, I don't have any issue with reviewers. I actually think reviewers have a purpose and, you know, they do, they're do. just doing it because they want to watch and, and discuss comedy. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I think a reviewer is a an audience member who sort of has elected themselves to be like, I'll be, I'll report back, you know, I'll go and watch it and report back to the people that haven't seen it yet. So that that's fine to me, and I, but I don't know... If they're going to do that and report back, I don't really think I should read it. That feels like I'm. I don't. It's not. That's not for me to hear. I should just ignore it and let them report back to the others and tell them what they thought. My an- my answer to that is: as soon as um, anything becomes work, uh, I I go off it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I think that's part of my. Yeah, you're, um, you're out to have a good time, and and you should yeah. embrace it. I've, that's what I've always thought with com- my stand-up in particular. Um, I, I've i gone really out of my way to always treat it as not a hobby, but as more like I'm living my the dream, essentially. I'm basically not... Yeah. I don't have a job. Yeah. I've managed to find a way of doing something I really love and not working. Yeah. So I've never really thought about it as a career or 
So that's why I think I've not got the investment in reviews and awards yeah, yeah. that some comedians yeah. have because to them, these a great review and a awards is sort of a marker of their career. Whereas yeah. for me, it's like they're just they they've happened, but the because I don't think of it as a career for me, it's it's always just a rolling ball of my next gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With 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 me, it's it's much more of a passion. I think I think everybody yeah. in life needs something else other than the routine of work or whatever you do yeah, yeah, yeah. in your daily life. And then and then if you've got something else on top of that, and I I I found this late in life. I had a great long list, a giant spreadsheet of all these acts that I'd seen, and I thought to myself, why am I doing this? And then I thought, I've got an idea here. And and the blog started, and the rest is history. Um, yeah, yeah. To date, what has been your best and worst gig? If best you have and any, worst I can't gig. believe you have any bad gigs. Oh, mate, I've had bad gigs. Don't, yeah, I genuinely have had bad gigs. I am, um, but I don't think I've had loads. I'm not. I'm quite no. lucky. I think in that. Yeah. Because my style makes it slightly harder to have bad gigs. Yeah, I'm very yeah. conversational. I'm yeah. not somebody who goes out and does dark, edgy stuff that might offend people. Like I, I think you know, I've, I've, I've got that sort of the margin of error for my stand-up is probably bigger than a lot of people's. But I, um, I've still had bad gigs. I'm trying to think the worst gig I've ever had. The worst gig I ever had would have been it was a Christmas gig for Jonglers probably 2009 right so you know I was still I was still relatively new but I was professional I'd gone full time so it was my job essentially and I you know I started it was my first year of doing Christmas gigs I didn't know much about Christmas gigs but it was when you get paid good money to perform to Christmas parties we're all having a you know three course meal and they're out on like there's big work dues and stuff <laughs> And I just was not experienced enough for it. And I did one at Jongler's Covent Garden, which was notoriously a tricky gig. Yeah. And I just absolutely died. And, like, oh, they wouldn't man. even look at the stage. They were all talking when I got on stage. The compare, I can't remember who it was, hadn't really settled them and got them looking. So I just went on, and they were just already not really paying attention. And I started trying to get them galvanised, and it just wasn't happening and the more I got sort of like come on guys tried to cajole them to watch me the more I lost the people that were watching because it looked desperate and I was just this new I was like oh, treading mate. water and everyone started talking then some people started booing so I then got yeah. I went on the attack and then about 10 minutes into my 20 minute set I was basically just getting booed off so I just I wished them happy Christmas and walked off <laughs> and um, but again brutal I, I think I think you have to go through these difficult ones to become a better comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. taught me the most about those sorts of gigs than yeah. anything else I could have done, really. Yeah. Because yeah. what was amazing as well, what it taught me, I, came, I, I walked off stage thinking, this gig is unplayable. Like, there's not a comedian on earth who could walk on there and have a good gig because they're not listening. And then um, Hal Cruttenden was on after me, and how you know this how it already been he's, he, he'd been, he's brilliant how's yeah. and how's such a experience you know he's been around probably a decade longer than me or yeah probably maybe six or seven years longer than me and he just he went on and he totally got their attention you know he really just worked for it early doors in this set yeah he didn't look desperate he just like he just sort of steamrolled him into looking at him and then he just had an absolute belter of a gig and I was watching it and no part of me was not jealous. No part of me was like, oh, fuck, he had a great gig and I died. I just knew I was watching somebody who knew how to do it better yeah, than yeah, me yeah, for that yeah. sort of gig. He'd just done he'd done loads of them before. He was experienced. Yes, he yeah, knew what yeah. he had to do. And I then was like, oh, right, I've just got to learn. I've just got to get more experience and learn how to cope in those sort of situations. Yeah. With your with your best gig, I'm thinking of was there a, was there ever a time where you thought I can do this and I can do this well on stage and the audience are mine and it's going really well. There, there must have been a time yeah. in your career where you thought I'm all right at this. This is going to be a full time job. Yeah, I think early doors. I had that. Yeah. You know, I reckon. You know, you learn very quickly. I don't, I don't know what it's like now. I can't speak for open spots now. But you learn when you're an open spot. When I, when I was doing it, 
that very quickly you sort of find yourself in a little group of the better ones you know what I mean yeah, it's yeah, not a yeah, clique yeah. but you just find yourself you'll do an open spot because you're decent you'll get booked for another one and another one there and then you'll get a bit of a longer spot and what happens is you find yourself getting in a slightly smaller group as you're getting as they're sort of filtering off the ones that aren't gonna yeah, yeah, move forward yeah. so you know by probably yeah like that laughing horse win in 2006 that's from there through the rest of 2006 i suddenly i suddenly started noticing my hit rate was better on stage i started writing more because i was i had to step up from five minutes to ten minute sets yeah. and longer I started getting booked for like my first 20s and stuff <laughs> so by the end of 2006 I'd, I'd really I'd had a bit of a rapid rate of I'd gone from five minute open spots at the start of the year to getting booked at some clubs to do 20 minutes by the end of the year and then it was 2007 I remember getting booked for like my first proper clubs like I think I remember getting booked for like a, a glee club which was so much so it was, it was so out of my capabilities at that point really so when I started just getting asked to do those clubs I suddenly was like hey I think I'm starting to work out how to do this and work out you know what I'm about and then B it's being reflected by bookings so that was when I first realised I think I'm alright but that being said like I'm really you know I'm I'm very I never look back at like thinking I I always now look back at each period of my stand up career in sort of blocks and I always think, nah, I wasn't actually that good then. I was, you know, I was okay in that crop. But, you know, I've, I always think, you know, I, I, if, yeah. like, if you had to ask me, like, I wouldn't do a routine of mine now from, I think, I've got probably one routine from about 2013 that I reckon would be one that might, if I had to dust it off, I'd be happy to do that now. But other than that, I don't think I've probably... I wouldn't dip into anything older than about three or four years because I um, don't actually think they're very good in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen you live many times and I think you're a really, really great comedian. You've made me laugh so much over the years. One of your, one of the best aspects to your act, I think, is the way that you interact with an audience. You just walk yeah. on and you make it look so easy. Um do you cope uh, do you have any nerves before you go on stage and how do you cope with them because you seem very very confident when you're on stage chatting to the audience yeah i am um, well that sort of that thing of you know that calmness on stage is that came very naturally and i don't really know why because I, I like you know before my early gigs i was terrified mm-hmm. i'd never done any public speaking never done any acting or drama at school I was I was a scared little boy you know I never did I, I didn't want to read out in class or anything but I very that, that in them early gigs I, I sort of weirdly when I went on stage I suddenly relaxed and I was like oh I think I can chat to these people I managed to sort There's of any time yeah. a, a joke wasn't flying I sort of realized I could always fall back on conversing with the crowd yeah yeah and uh so actually, I became very comfortable on stage very quickly, but I, I do get nervous before bigger gigs. Right. Like, you know, if it's... Do you know when I get the most nervous is when something's recorded, like a live... A, a gig that is live, but recorded for... If right. it's television or if it's anything, like, you know, like I did... Um, you know, when I, when I did... Like, I did Mock the Week a couple of times. I found that so nerve-wracking because I was like... The, the the pressure is on because the stakes are higher this isn't I lo- what I love about live gigs that aren't recorded is they are genuinely one-offs they'll yeah, never yeah. be repeated yeah. even if you have like obviously you might have four acts you could put those four acts in a different gig and obviously some of the material is going to be the same but the audience is different so the yeah. gig itself is totally different none of like there's so many different ingredients so that's what I love about it. I always feel very comfortable knowing that this is a one-off that once we're done that will never happen again. We've yeah. just managed to do something that is genuinely a one-off. So I feel very comfortable in that environment. The moment there's a camera involved, and it might and and other, and it's going to be watched by other people who weren't at our thing, I suddenly go like, oh god, now what if it's rubbish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that that, that makes me scared. Analyzing yourself, and and you need totally to just do it. Yeah, yeah. 
I did a gig here um, in Melbourne that I've done twice before. They've got um, at a comedy festival, the start of the comedy festival, they've got a big show called the, the Gala. It's called the Oxfam Gala. Yeah. And it's basically in this massive theatre called the Palais. That's one of the most beautiful theatres you'd ever see. It holds 3,000 people and it's a televised show. So you do it, they film it, it goes out like the week, week after. And... I've, even having done it before, you never. And I talked to other comedians about it. You're never ever prepared. Like I, I spent the whole day feeling really relaxed. I'd worked out my set, but the like the moment I got had makeup done and I was backstage, like it was about three minutes before showtime. I just found myself going, "What? What are you doing with oh, your life? Hey. Like, what? How could you possibly think this is a good idea?" And I just go, "Are you going to like a blind panic?" But then the moment I walk to the front of the stage and say hello, I'm fine. It's, I, they, they go away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> interesting because um, other than the blog, the most creative thing I ever did, I, I wrote a play uh, which I originally wrote for the Edinburgh Fringe, mm. uh, um, but I never, I, I've never taken it there. I should do. But we, but we raised a lot of money for comic relief. We did, we did three shows. Myself and my friend, and another yeah. friend directed it, and it was called The Applicant, and and well, it is called The Applicant, and it's about me. It's basically me coming to London from Carlisle, my home city, and trying to get a job. I've got a very successful girlfriend who's got a job, and I can't get a job. So, it's um, the first scene is the waiting room uh, and then the interview and that's done like six times and it, it gradually builds up yeah, and yeah. Um, he runs out and he and, and he see he's very nervous on his first interview and he sees the audience and he starts chatting to them and that's the monologue set in the scene for the story yeah so of course I rehe- we rehearsed and rehearsed this for 10 weeks and I had these great monologues that I didn't realise I'd written and I ran out on the opening night and I forgot the lights <laughs> yeah of course it's, it's the thing that's what nerve, nerves do to you I've watched I've watched um, Open Spots yeah who like I couldn't believe were so confident backstage yeah. like I mean, I've, I remember like once hosting a uh, a gig at the Glasgow Stand you know which is an amazing club and I was hosting their Red Raw night. It's like a, it's like a new app night. So it's 15, five, like five minute open spots. And I was hosting and I went, I had the list of acts. So I went into the dressing room. I was introducing myself like, how you doing everyone? Right, like, here's the list. You know, I went, who's so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> and I couldn't find the person who was on first. And then I looked and there was one guy who'd not introduced himself. Everyone else was coming up all nervously and going, hi, I'm cool, wow. whatever. And this one guy was sitting on a sofa with his hands behind his head, like looking like you'd think he'd been doing comedy for 25 years. <laughs> I went over to him, I went, mate, I went, oh, you must be, and I said the name, it was a number one. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, oh, you, you know who I'm first? He was like, yeah, 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 man, it's fine. And I was like, <laughs> and I said to him, like, how, um, like, have you been doing it a while? Because you seem very calm. <clears throat> Sorry. And he um, he said, "Oh, it's my first gig," and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like oh, no. in my head, I was like, "This guy is so confident," but he was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing I, I'm I'm doing an acting degree," and he was just talking about it like he was going to be so great. And he went on stage first, and, and made, like it's an amazing club, so it was so like the first like ten minutes of hosting was so easy and fun. I brought him on to a you know a great atmosphere you know he should have been you know, if he had a decent five minutes he would have knocked it out of the park but he he just did his first gig and it just got hardly anything it wasn't a very good oh, joke so his first joke and then his next joke same thing just he said it thinking this is a great joke and it just didn't get anything and you watched him basically fall apart inside because He'd gone. He'd, he was so overconfident, thinking it was going to be great, wow. that he hadn't even factored in it. It might not be funny. Wow! Oh, and then I watched, wow. and then he started fumbling. He started forgetting bits, and he oh. just went to pieces. And like he did about two minutes in the end. And it's like I was watching, thinking, "This is all your fault, mate. You, you've basically not. You've come in so confident here, and, you don't, and you've not factored in nerves. You've not factored in no that it might not go how you expected. Yeah. And it was like nerves can totally derail you. Like. Even even like down the line when you're, you know, yeah. on a on an Edinburgh preview, if you yeah, if you've yeah. done an Edinburgh preview and you've got an hour of notes on stage, 
if it starts badly and you're 10 minutes in and it's not going you're just you know you, your head goes you start sort of messing bits up you're just you're, you're never ever you know you can never totally conquer nerves so no matter no, no. how good you are or how long you've been doing it they're always there in the background it reminds me of the old Ken Dodd story. I saw Ken Dodd many times. He was, of course, he was extraordinary live. He'd, he'd go for yeah, five yeah. hours. And remembering it all is extraordinary. You know, and yeah, that. that's, that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it was amazing. But um, uh, he, he had the old story of... Um, he was describing <coughs> how folk laugh and it starts at the bottom and it works your way up through your mouth and, you, and, and all, this, all these theories of laughing. And he did a Freud theory on it, and he said, and he explained it all. And he said, he said, mind you, ladies and gentlemen, Freud didn't play the Glasgow Empire on a Friday, <laughs> so, so even he must get nervy, you know. To do oh, stuff, I it? mean, that was funny. The Glasgow Empire was like I've heard so many funny apocryphal <laughs> stories about it. Isn't it? Des O'Connor used to have a great one about like he played it when he was like a you know a hot young thing of yeah. British comedy. <laughs> He smashed every gig in the, in the country. Gets the Glasgow Empire. Gets booed off within a couple of minutes. Says, "I'm never playing that. I'm never playing that room again." About ten years later, he's a TV star. You know everything. He's like he's famous. They say, "Can you come back and play it?" You know, you headline the show, and he's like, "I said I'd never play it again." He's like, "Come on, you're a star now. They'll love you." And uh, and he went back and they booed him off again. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is so funny and they did it on purpose they were like right let's get yeah, him again yeah. to, you know, another, I love it there's another one we, we're moving on to Edinburgh next but there's another story which is one of my favourites where um, this poor comedian <clears throat> who will remain nameless he was playing a little tiny room and I was there with my friend who was reviewing the show and there was us two and there was a a Scotsman in the front row, drunk Scotsman in the front row, and the comedian walked on full of enthusiasm. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and then looked and saw just the three. Oh, and, he went, no. and he went, Oh, he said, he said, I'm not going to bother tonight because um, there's only three of you here. I will buy you a drink, all a drink for coming along. Thank you. Yeah, very yeah, much. yeah. And the bloke in the front row went, No, I've paid my six pound. I want the hour. Oh, and he had God. to perform this. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> so he did. <laughs> oh it was, man! It was that is... Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to Edinburgh. I I go. I, I'm very fortunate to be able to go to Edinburgh every year, and I've been going there since 2005. I go there for my holiday. I spend a week there, and I see about 50 shows in a week. I need holiday by the time I come back. But um, you're always on the list to go. I always see you in a sh in a sh in some sort of show when I'm there. Can you tell me what was your first Edinburgh festival was like, please? Um, well, my first, the first time I ever went to it was I think it was, yeah it was 2004. I think me and my ex went up for like a holiday, so we just yeah. went to watch shows. Uh, and I got I mean that was where I remember that was I remember seeing Tony Law's show it was the funniest hour I've yeah, ever, like, to this day I'd, it, I'd be it would be up in my top shows I've ever seen at Edinburgh right. and uh, yeah I saw some great shows but in 2005 was when I went up as an open spot did a few gigs um, 2006 was when I first did it like in the sense of me Chris Martin and Sean James right. did, yeah, yeah. Uh, did a did a three-hander called The Good, The Bad and The Cuddly and Classic. we did two weeks on the fr on the free. Yeah, we did two weeks on the free fringe, and it was like, you know, it was so amazing doing just our own thing where we were all doing. That was that was where we basically learned to do Brilliant. your twenty minute sets because yeah, we basically yeah, yeah. had suddenly could do twenty minutes each. Sean hosted and me and Chris split like we'd change around each day who goes on first, who goes on second, and by the end of the two weeks, like we were so much better than we, you know, were it before it. So that was like that, but that was it was a two week run. My first full run was two thousand and seven, yeah. when I did a thing called the Comedy Zone for yeah. Avalon. So it was an Avalon comedy showcase. Yeah, uh, that was you know it was quite prestigious and like people like Stuart Lee had done it over the years. Like if you look at the lineup of people that did it over the years, it's mad. Like, and it sadly doesn't run anymore. It stopped a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a real thing to be asked to do that. Was a real stamp of approval that like right you're one of the top 
open spots in the country. There you are, yeah. Um, so that, and it was like, it was all, you know, you were in an amazing room in the cabaret bar at the Pleasance, oh, okay. 9.45 every night. <coughs> it was great. And I did it with um, Joe Wilkinson. Oh, brilliant. Barry, Barry Dodds and John Robbins. And oh, it was just four-man crew of like, everyone was really different. Like, John Robbins was mainly hosting. Yeah. Joe Wilkinson was on second... Barry Dodds was on first I was last and like Barry was a ball of energy a ball of nervous energy every day like he was really sort of in his head like me and Robbins were a bit more like just getting a bit pissed and having a laugh we felt like we were sort of just living the dream Joe was like constantly just like this is shit (laughs) (laughs) moaning about having to do the gig still does (laughs) oh man he's Joe Wilkinson is me and Joe uh, started out around the same time I actually was at Joe's first ever gig it was before I did stand up wow so it was when I when I was going to watch loads of comedy in that period before I wanted to do it I went to watch and my ex said we should go and watch some new comedians because if you are thinking about doing it you should actually see the newbies and see what it's like to do an open spot gig and I went to the banana well the banana at the Bedford in Ballam used to have a Tuesday new act night and I went down and Joe Wilkinson was on doing his first ever gig wow he was smoking on stage which shows what you know it was 2003 (laughs) probably and he was there he went on just with a fag and he had loads of like he was just doing these weird jokes and like but you could tell he was a funny man. He he hold, holds the record to this day for one of the best live sketches involving me. I was sitting on the right. front row at Always Be Comedy and he, he was performing, he, he was doing MASH with Diane Morgan. Yes, yeah, yeah. And he's a, he's a lovely bloke. He's supported mm. my blog and, and he's a... He's a He's, he's a wonderful comedian she came on and came up to me and gave me the finger didn't say anything she just gave me the finger <laughs> in front of my face and and nothing happened for about three minutes she just gave me the finger and then he, he tapped her on the shoulder and he said um, I knew you should have got an invisibility cloak <laughs> <laughs> And they it, were and great. The whole, two episodes the whole of the Mash just collapsed. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were I, really I, good I, I sketch duo. Yeah. I think a lot of people wouldn't have even you know a lot of people now wouldn't realise those two yeah. had worked, like, done that back in the day. But like, yeah, yeah. Joe was Joe yeah, was amazing. But he, yeah, yeah. Joe um, has always had a real love hate relationship with stand up. You know, he's so funny and he's done all these other great things but he like from day one when I started we became matey and started gigging together and all that and he just was he loved a gig getting cancelled more than anyone I've ever known like a last minute cancellation would be like you so you'd get to a gig and there wasn't many audience members and like the promoter would go oh, it's probably not worth doing it Joe would like celebrate like he'd scored yeah, a goal yeah, yeah. like a football he just loved a cancellation he's he always had the best excuses as well like there was a period where we used to refer to him as the wolf, you know, the guy from Pulp Fiction who fixes stuff. <laughs> Basically, if you wanted to get an ex- a good excuse to get out of a gig that you didn't want to do, you'd text the wolf. And he'd basically, <laughs> Joe would just give you a great excuse, right? So, what you're going to do is you're going to tell him, this has happened to your uncle. Like, it'd just give you an excuse that would get you out of the gig. Yeah. But, um, he's, but he's, he's great. He's wonderful. I, I absolutely love him. He's great. Um, so, we're in Edinburgh and. I've seen your solo shows, Relax Everyone, it's Carl Donnelly in 2009. So that was my debut, that was. That was my debut show. Yeah, and I I saw, now that's what I call Carl Donnelly Volume 5 (laughs) in 2013. I know there was Volume 6, but I couldn't get to that for some reason. Yeah, I did Um, 5 and 6. They were both nominated for for Edinburgh Comedy Awards. Congratulations. One, no, one of them were. I don't think both of them were. One, I've only, it was one of them. It was the was one in 2013. One, one in 2013 was the one that got nominated. I can't remember. Was, was nominated. That, was, that was 2005, yeah. yeah. So that, sorry, that was number five. Yeah. So, yeah. That was From nice. Those, but yeah, the other one, I, it was the newcomer one. That was the one I got. The newcomer, 2000, yeah. 2009, I got a nomination for that, right. which was totally... I mean, both of them, to be honest, were totally out of the blue like the the 2013 a little bit more like I was aware that it was going really well as a run yeah 
but to like 2009 when I was doing my new show like again I knew I was probably you know just by the nature of how the circuit works I knew I was probably in the top 10 debut shows like yeah, in terms yeah. of like people out of all the people I knew doing their debut shows that year me John Robbins people like that I was like you know we're probably in the in the sort of running to be the better of the new lot yeah, yeah. you know if, they, if every year there's probably you know there's probably more now but like back then there was probably a hundred debut shows there would be 50 of those would be just mad people who've just decided to go to Edinburgh and they've never done a gig before <laughs> Then there'd be 50 of people that are actually on the circuit and are new and starting to make headway and, you know, but there'd only really be 20 maybe who are, you know, been doing it a few years, getting to the point when they're going professional, like, you know, that once you actually start crunching the numbers, you realise if you're a really, like, if you're a good newer comic doing your debut show, you're normally actually only in about a group of 20, 25 that is probably, the the nomination list is going to come from those. So I mean, yeah, we, that that was one though. I I I genuinely spent the month just. I was so giddy to be doing it, and like I was, and I was so excited when like my room seemed to be full every night, and I was just like, this is a dream debut run. So I, I had would, no idea who was going to get nominated, yeah, but I no, I also well, you know. Con- congratulations, because the question from that, and you have and you have touched on this, was. Um, where do you get your ideas for shows? Um, I know you you said that there isn't really a writing process that you do, but do you get no. do you? Where do you get your ideas from f- to do an hour long show as opposed to a twenty minute routine? I think I I tend to start with the routines rather than the right. show idea. Yeah. Like I'm, I I tend to, you know, because you have to register the show in February for yeah. August. You know, it's never going to be the exact show you think of in February unless you are planning a big themed, right, this is a thing. But, like, for me, I I tend to, in January, just look at all the stuff I've written since, like, September and the bits that I'm doing. And there's normally some theme, you know what I mean? It's it's normally, the theme tends to be what's going on in your life that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tend to just, I look at it and go, right, this story about that, that, and that, that feels like the show should probably follow that sort of subject matter. That tends to be it. Unless there's been years when something else is going on that I've thought, I've got to talk about this. Like, so there's one in 2013 where I got nominated. Uh, That was the year that me and my ex-wife broke up. And like 2012 was, I, I hated my run in 2012. Like I, it was the only year where I did a show that looking back I was like I'm not happy with that at all there was a couple of routines that were quite funny but on the whole it was a, I, was, I don't think I was in the right headspace because yeah, yeah, you know because yeah. me and my ex you know we were just going through a, yeah, a bad yeah. time so yeah. I just I think I showed up to Edinburgh not in a funny mood and then two, so by, by 2013 we'd broken up but what had happened was I'd registered a show 2013 it was like this is what the show's about it's about blah, blah, blah. and then we broke up um, I think it was about six weeks before Edinburgh. So the show that was registered, sort of, I'd written and I'd previewed it. So it was six weeks out of Edinburgh. I'd, I'd had a, a show that was getting ready oh. and everything fell apart. Oh, and nice. I found myself living back at my parents and yeah. I showed up to Edinburgh just sort of in a bit of a messy state. Yeah. And the show ended up, as the month went on, reflecting my sort of my life falling apart so I knew like I knew it was probably quite a good show to watch because people I think audiences really could tell that I was going through some (laughs) tough stuff so but I was also desperately trying to make it funny and I was parts of the show fell up like I'd sort of almost let them into like what was going on in the background and so I I think it was probably a very exciting show to watch because you could see that I was a bit on the edge yeah yeah so i could so and that's i could just feel as the run was going on that people were really like coming in and enjoying just watching a man be genuinely honest about that this is what's going on right now this is really in the moment and like so yeah i could that was a real like that show sort of wrote itself that's in that's interesting because comedians obviously have lives as well other than just doing comedy you know and 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 
when you go to a comedy show, you expect them to be full of enthusiasm. And yeah, yeah. Thing, but if oh, you don't. People don't. Times, I don't. Audiences, I don't think, would ever factor in what's going on in comedians' yeah. lives because yeah. I think comedians are very good at acting like everything's fine. Yeah, but yeah. you know the, yeah. the amount of comedians working, like you know, there's obviously going to be people like, and it's quite, it's very. I find going on stage tends to put your problems behind you a bit. Like you can, you can sort of part them and be like, right, I'm on stage now. I can have fun. This is actually quite a break from the problems. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, but it, sometimes it is pretty brutal. Like I remember doing a show at a comedy store about it would have been probably six years ago now and I was walking into the comedy store and you all know the comedy store in Leicester, uh, in, uh, Leicester Square yeah, you go yeah, downstairs yeah, yeah. and basically you always lose phone reception as you walk in, down into the, 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 the basement <laughs> yeah. and my phone rang just at the bottom of the stairs if I was if I was two metres on it probably wouldn't have had reception my phone rings and it was my mum who told basically and it was I got she basically broke some really bad news to me about um, a cousin of mine had died. Oh, who we, we were we were very close when we were young, you know. We hadn't really seen each other for a few years because she'd had a lot of issues and like it was just really horrible, sad news to hear. But the problem was this was like ten to eight, and I was opening, so I was on at like <laughs> ten past eight. So I just get told this harrowing, sad news, oh, and I, I sort of and I sort of say to my mum, "Well, thanks for letting me know, but you know." I'm, I'm at a gig, I'll give you a call later. And I walked into a dressing room, you know, like looking like I just found out somebody had died that was close to me. Oh, man. Or everyone's having a laugh in a dressing room and I'm just sitting there all sad. And then within, you know, within eight minutes of being in the dressing room, the show starts, mm. compare's on, mm. and 10 minutes later I'm on. And I just had to just, I realised it's too late to c- yeah. cancel. I had to just park it and just go yeah. and do it. And like, yeah. you know, I don't think it would have been a vintage set. But I, I don't think anyone would have realised what was going on. So yeah, it's a yeah. real extreme example of sometimes you just got to just, you know, flash them your teeth, give them a few grins and be like, hey, this is fine. Even though inside you're like, oh, it's not really, is it? <laughs> well, well, as I say, you are very, very good at that because um, uh, whenever, obviously whenever I've seen you, you're always very enthusiastic when you're on stage. Um, I've seen you also host many a comedy night. Do you prefer comparing to performing a routine? Um, I don't know, you know. I've actually, I think it depends on the night. Yeah. It depends on, the, it, sometimes it depends on the club. There's certain clubs that I weirdly, in my head, associate them with me as I'm, I should be hosting this, not doing a set. I prefer it. I feel more comfortable, like... Um, like some of the, yeah, the Glee, the Glee in Birmingham is a big 450 seat, like proper weekend comedy yeah, club. Yeah. And, you know, it's great. Any spot you do is great. But for some reason, I love hosting it. I just feel like it's a real fun gig, to, room to host. And there's other clubs like that as well, where I just like up the creek in Greenwich. Yeah, I think up the creek in Greenwich is one of my favorite, yeah, you know, it's one of my favorite oh, yeah. clubs yeah. on earth. And, Hosting it, I think, is so much fun. Like, I've hosted New Year's Eve there a couple of times, and it just feels like it feels like it's a it's a compare's room. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you nail it in that room when you're hosting, it's your gig. Like the audience almost feel like it's you and them, and you're introducing some mates on to go like, oh, this this person's really funny. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's sometimes I definitely do prefer it, but and it also doesn't feel like doing. You know, it doesn't. It feels like cheating. I always find that you know sometimes when I'm doing comparing, I, I'll do a whole night and not say a single thing that was yeah. pre-prepared, but and you just come away thinking I've just been paid to genuinely have a laugh with a bunch of people. <laughs> but but I think as well, the the compare has to keep it going, has to keep the mm. atmosphere up. To, to, yeah, yeah. So that so when the acts come on at least they've got a chance of keeping it going, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Uh, let's move on. We're, we're all living in very strange times. These lockdown has been awful for, for loads and loads of people. Um, have you done any online gigs and how have you found them as opposed to live stand-up? Um, I have done. I've done. I ended up doing quite a few and I learned to enjoy them yeah. but you know they I mean weirdly I would say it's probably a time thing but 
by the end of the year, like December, I did loads in December because there was a lot of like Christmas ones knocking yeah. around. We did almost like mini corporate gigs you'd do to like a company that are having a, a Zoom Christmas party. And actually by then I'd learned the sort of way to do them in a way that makes it feel fun. And you can banter with people individually on yeah. their little screens. And um, I was I genuinely was like, oh, this is fine. I'm happy with this. And I thought I really enjoyed them until I came out to Australia where, you know, naturally they're they're doing much better with the coronavirus than the UK is because A, their response and B, they are an island on the other side of the world. So yeah, it's a bit easier yeah. to stop it getting in. Yeah. Uh, so they're back to normal now. So I got here and, you know, within a few weeks I started doing some gigs live. And the moment I did a live gig again, I was like, oh, what my, yeah, obviously it's the most fun like zoom yeah. gigs yeah. i'd learned to enjoy them yeah. yeah but i having done a live gig again and since doing live stuff i've done a couple of zoom gigs yeah yeah and i've been and, and now i'm like oh no they're actually nowhere near that's the reality that you've had the best of both worlds because i totally agree with you i think online uh, comedy is a super substitute and if and if if it hadn't have happened, I'd have gone. I don't know what I would have done. I'd, yeah. Because uh, there is a market for it, but by God, I miss a live Saturday night uh, yeah. comedy night. I, lo- I love to go to somewhere like Headliners or the Soho Theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or well, that, that feeling as well. Like, oh, it's I did. I did a gig. Uh, where is it? I did my show at the festival maybe a week and a bit ago yeah. and afterwards I went and did a spot at a late show there's a really nice yeah. new club in Melbourne called the Comedy Republic yeah. and afterwards we went down to the bar me and the other acts and loads of people just descended on the bar and it's there was the audience there was loads of yeah. comics and we are all sitting there having yeah, a beer after the show and it genuinely felt like um, sort of I don't know it felt like an Edinburgh night yeah, after all yeah. the shows and they were all in bars and it was just I was just so happy I realised that not only do I miss the comedy aspect, but you forget how much, like, you know, for comedians, we are solo yeah. sportsmen, essentially. Yeah, you know, we yeah, travel exactly, like, yeah. travel around on our own, but, our, you know, we do mix when we're together at yeah. gigs and that camaraderie, I really yeah. missed it. So exactly. I, I, I forgot how much I missed it until I, I experienced it. Very much so. Um, who are your favourite comedians, past and present? Um, I mean, I, I think I mentioned Dave Allen earlier yeah. on. He's probably uh, he would he would have been a very early influence on me. Even though I don't really think I would have known it was stand up because you know he was just that Irish guy on the telly. Yeah. But my family's because my family's Irish. I, he was a real factor in the house. Brilliant. So there was him. I would say, I, you know, you, could, you couldn't ignore Billy Connolly. I yeah. think he'd grown up it grown up in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, he was a he was a constant. And then, like, you know, once I got into stand-up, it would have probably been people like um, Mitch Hedberg is one of my favourites. Oh, he was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was one of my early inspirations. And then since then, every year I just see, you know, I love seeing people that I've never seen before that, you know... And it's a funny thing, I don't really watch a lot of American comedy. Um, so whenever you hear about these big Americans that everyone loves... I'm always about 10 years behind. I was a song, you know, I, 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 I've never watched a Dave Chappelle stand-up special. And most comics I know think he's probably currently the best in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I guarantee in five years I'll watch one of his specials. I'll be like, but have you guys seen Dave <laughs> what Chappelle? What have I missed? <laughs> I'm really bad for that. I did it with, I, I watched Peep Show for the first time two years ago. Wow. And I was Good raving lunch. about it. And everyone's like, yeah, we watched it at the time, mate. But, um, like, in terms of, like, I watched... Uh, it's like Maria Bamford, I think is incredible. Yeah, superb, yeah. Um, who else have I watched recently? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I suppose my, like my I, my favourite comic of the current, I suppose we can't really say current because everything's stopped at a minute. But the best live comedian I've seen in the last sort of decade is Tommy Tiernan. Like my in terms good of, choice. yeah, yeah. Like he he holds the record for me of the best gig I've ever seen a comedian have in terms wow. of the atmosphere in the room. Like yeah. I've seen, I remember seeing. Oh, I've, oh uh, apart, I would say it, it, it had more context to it. It was at the Kilkenny Festival. Yeah. So it we, we it was the last show of the whole weekend. 
So there was a real buzz in the room. Tommy was headlining, and he just did this gig, this show that you know I've never felt an atmosphere like it in a comedy gig. Like you know, it wasn't just laughter. It wasn't fun. Yeah. It was everything plus this sort of almost religious experience. Like everyone came out of it almost like they were on drugs, like MDMA or something. <laughs> Fantastic. But outside of that, the best gig I've ever seen anyone have was Michael McIntyre at the Comedy Store, the first time I ever did a 10-minute spot. Wow. He, um, I was really new. I got given a 10-minute spot because I won the gong show. And um, I had never, I'd never even heard of McIntyre. It was just before he blew up on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he closed the show and I I, I, he just absolutely took the place yeah. apart. Yeah. It was so incredible to watch. I saw Tommy Tiernan in the Gilded, <coughs> in the Gilded Balloon uh, a few years back. He was incredible. And I saw McIntyre well before he was famous in a little tiny hut, somewhere like the Pleasant Attic or something. I and remember. He, I saw McIntyre played, do that show, actually, in the, in the Pleasant. Yeah, amazing. it was a great room. It was amazing. Um, I think I saw that Tommy Tommy's one at the Gilded Balloon yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. Fantastic. That was a great show. That was. Yeah. The the reason why I'm asking the question is obviously I've seen so many comedians. They've got so many memories for me, and it's interesting to find out from the comedians who, um, who 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 they like. I've got a section in my blog called the ones that got away, and I've written about twenty five comedians. Um, that I, I've either passed on or I haven't been able to see. And one of them was Dave Allen. I nearly had a chance oh, really? to go yeah, and see yeah, him yeah. in London. He did a tour in London just before he retired. And I wish I'd gone because I absolutely yeah, loved yeah. the show. Really who else is on the list? Who yeah. else is the, who are the ones that got away? Uh, well, well, the reason why I do, the reason why I like comedy is Markham and Wise. I, I, right. I missed them. I've seen everything else about them. Plays. I've got read all the books and everything. Bob Monkhouse is up there. Norman Wisdom. Yeah. Um, uh, I've never seen Ross Noble. Amazing. He's, he's doing a show at this festival yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, really. I'm I might try and see, to see it him, in the second half uh, as soon as I can. Yeah. Um, there's there's loads of them. Um, Richard Pryor, I'd like to have seen. Yeah, I yeah. saw Bill Hicks and I saw Steve Martin. Yeah, Bill Hicks wow. was amazing. I saw him in Manchester. He was extraordinary. And and he was Hicks, yeah, he's one that I yeah. I I loved when I was yeah. first starting stand up. I yeah. watched loads of it, but then I've probably I've not really gone back and watched it again to yeah, see no, it's, it's, how it's, I feel it's about so it now good. because like his book is part, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I think I've read yeah. it. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's um, he was very good, wasn't he? He was extraordinary. He he walked on in a cloud of smoke, and uh, it was midnight, and everybody just everybody just tuned in because they were all yeah, tired. Yeah. He was late on. He tuned in. He went. He went right here. We go, and he would not let up, and he was yeah, hilarious, yeah, yeah. but very very truthful and very. He could say what he wanted because he had the audience in the palm of his hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very intelligent stuff. Um, like me, before you were a comedian or or, or now, uh, do you go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience? Um, I do at festivals. Yeah. The rest of the year, not so much, just because the rest of the year I, I'm gigging yeah. most of yeah. most of my nights. But um, I still, yeah, during a, during festivals, I tend to nip out and see quite a lot. I see yeah. a lot of other stuff as well. Like if I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe, I'll go and see as many plays as I will see stand up and sketch and like I'll try and see a load of different stuff but I'm very I'm a good audience member as well I'm not one of them comics that sits there and judges it and you know is sort of analysing it and not really laughing I've just we're the best people my friend (laughs) I I also and I know it sounds I'm actually quite I'll laugh at anything do you know I'm a real like I'm not a snob when it comes to comedy even though I do it I will laugh at the most dumb observation, I don't, I'll laugh at something that's been done a hundred times before by a hundred comedians. Like, I don't really care if it's funny, I will laugh. I really, so if, you I, know, so obviously, if I suddenly stop doing this, you could take over, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm very, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I know a lot of comics, I think, get jaded by comedy and end up being a bit no. too more snobbish than they should be, but. You know, I really, I really will watch a comic do stuff that some people might think is a bit old and tired. 
brilliant. I'm just, if it's funny and it's making yeah, me laugh, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely yeah. happy with that. Yeah. Um, if you're on a bill, uh, do you uh, watch all the acts on the bill when you've done your spot? Or it, I mean, that is, it's it's very dependent on my like yeah if i'm tired yeah, after yeah, i'm like yeah, i just need yeah. to go home yeah. if i uh, if i'm on with mates i'll stay around to watch yeah, you know like yeah. you know there's a certain you know i'll make it i make more of an effort with people that i really want to stay and watch yeah. but yeah it's it's also and a lot of times if you're in london gigging often you're doing a couple of gigs and that is sort of yeah, that takes out your options i find myself yeah, yeah i yeah. find myself in my very rarely now getting a chance if i'm in london to do that just before we go, and I've, I've so enjoyed talking to you. It's been an absolute Excuse joy. Me, yeah, it's, been, it's been lovely. Um, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, where can people <laughs> find you on social media? You got any online gigs coming up or podcasts, anything like that? Um, yeah, we've got. I mean, I'm on social media. I sort of t- I t- I tend to treat it with a little bit of a... Uh, I sort of keep it slightly at arm's length in that I... <laughs> You know, I use Twitter very much for jokes. I don't ever engage with any opinions or politics. I keep it very light. Um, Instagram, I I just do dumb videos on Instagram of me making coffee and just doing voices. (laughs) You know, I try and and genuinely use my my social medias for being silly. So, yeah, if people want to follow me, it's social media the blog oh yeah yeah yeah. totally i just i just find i've i'm so hesitant now to ever spend time on there because every time i open it it's just people arguing about (laughs) stuff i don't have any interest in (laughs) so people can find me on there uh and yeah i do a podcast with julian dean called tbi which is he's coming on here julian he's great yeah julian i mean julian's one of the funniest people i know yeah he, he's you know he's a brilliant stand-up he's a very great one-liner stand-up yeah. comedian but he is off the cuff one of the funniest people I've yes. ever known like right. if you, we like he's also very you know like I've, I've been to like we had, we had a big comics Christmas lunch a few years ago and there was people on that on that at the table you know that are pretty well-known <laughs> TV comedians like people would think like that if, if you looked at the list of people at the thing you'd think like oh god it must like they must be the funniest they must be the funniest julian's the funniest in that group off the cuff in conversation out of the whole lot he's he's so partly as well because he's got no filter whatever comes into (laughs) julian's head he says it so he's like you just can't ever like you never never know know what's gonna come next (laughs) oh man so our podcast is me a guest and Julian and it is normally just Julian interrupting the guest constantly with his little asides and it's really it's really funny but Brilliant. you know don't if you listen don't expect any genuine interviews like you know it's no. it's, it's basically two people uh, talking over a guest <laughs> well it sounds fantastic and certainly with your gigs i'm looking forward very much to seeing you live again soon oh, i can't wait yeah it's exciting to yeah hopefully when yeah. we come back from back from australia to so the uk things will be back open hopefully so it'll be better. i'll be able and, to get uh, straight back to it i look forward very much to seeing you soon and i just want to thank you so much for your time it's been absolutely no worries fantastic. man it's been great thanks for having me thank you so much my friend and all the best to you